Hello and welcome to the brand new series of Good is the New Cool, the field recordings. My name is Aftal Aziz. And what's up? I'm Bobby Jones. We're two friends who have dedicated our lives and careers to helping others find ways to use their talents and passions to create a better world. Today, Good is the New Cool connects and serves a global movement of world-changing entrepreneurs, creators, and innovators using business and culture as forces for good. We're also the co-founders of Conspiracy of Love, a global purpose consultancy helping brands like Adidas, Red Bull, Microsoft, and Oreo help create social impact. In this podcast, we take you through the stories and people who inspired our new book, The Principles of Purpose. In the book, we outline nine principles designed to help business leaders attract the new generation of socially aware consumers, as well as the most talented purpose-driven employees. Throughout this series, we'll be taking you behind the scenes on the journey through the interviews and events surrounding the book, all in the hopes of inspiring you to harness the power of purpose for yourself. Now, in this introductory episode, we want to take you behind the scenes to tell you the story of our inspiration for writing this book and give you a sneak peek of what to expect in the rest of this series. When I think back to writing the book, I I think a lot about what was happening outside my window during that time. I I wrote in 2020, um, even though we've been working on the book for a few years. And it was during this time that it was, you know, this was one of the most eventful periods in world history. Um, And I feel like so much of that was brought to life literally right outside of my window. You know, I'm living in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and, you know, at the time, Brooklyn and, and New York specifically was kind of the epicenter of the COVID virus. I mean, people were getting uh, sick at historic levels. People were dying at historic levels. There's a tremendous amount of, of pain and suffering that was happening, not just in New York, but also around the world. I, like so many others, were really quarantined in, inside of, of my home with my family. And this period of, of not knowing, you know, how long this was going to be, uh, how long this was going to last, and trying to find a way during this time to be useful uh, during this moment, you know, just trying to figure out how can I do something that, that helps someone. And, you know, I'm sitting down in... in in my bedroom oftentimes and really thinking about this book. And as I'm writing it literally every day, these these walls feel like they're kind of closing in in these, you know, in these small spaces day after day. Um, and then I remember something started to happen um, around six o'clock every day. There would be this moment where people in my building and people throughout the neighborhood where they would just open their windows and they would just start to cheer. All of this was happening as a sign of gratitude and appreciation to the frontline workers. And I remember the first couple of days as being so moved by it. And then I began to do it open the doors and, and go outside and, and, and cheer and clap and yell. That daily moment where people were, were celebrating gave me such a, a, a sense of inspiration and connection to, to so many other people. And, and I remember thinking I wanted, 
I wanted to write something that captured that moment and, and, and connected to all these people who wanted to do something. And then I remember there was a moment where, um, again, I was sitting in, in my home and on my computer, and the stories and all of it wasn't about COVID. It was about this image of this man uh, by the name of George Floyd who had been killed uh, that day. And I remember just being so haunted by it, the, 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 the callousness of it, the, the coldness of it, um, this look of this officer kneeling on the, on the neck of this Black man who was pleading for his life. And, and, and I remember being angry and so outraged and without much to do with that anger and uh, in, in that, in that frustration. And I, I remember sitting down that day to write and not necessarily knowing what to say, what to write about. Just feeling very distracted um, by what I was feeling. And so I was starting to look forward uh, in some way to that six o'clock Break where people would open their windows and they would cheer and they would they would bang on the pots and pans, and I remembered that uh, it was a different sound. I heard the, the the people yelling and I heard the people cheering, but also heard like this 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 phrase that just kept hearing. It started as a whisper and then it just kept getting louder and louder. You know, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. And you could hear the chorus. You could hear the voices of the people. You could hear the footsteps. And it just kept getting louder and growing more and more and more. And then I could see it. And it was a wave of people. I mean, a wave of people in the streets with signs using their voices, using the power of their presence, the rhythm of it, the power of it, the anger of it, the emotion of it. It was just like a wave that was just literally washing over me in terms of just like the, the amount of people that, that were there. That just, just felt different. You know, I've been in marches and protests and I've seen them, but this just felt different. And I remember just looking at that and just feeling like this is a wave of, of change that's, that's happening and, 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 and witnessing it. And I remember feeling very connected to it. And I remember, you know, a, a, a day or two passed, th these marches were happening every day. You know, I, I sat down, I looked outside the window with my son, Miles, and we talked about it. I said, let's, I said, we're gonna go down together and we're gonna march. And at first he didn't want to, he was afraid, uh, understandably. And I said, well, it's, it's important that we do this. I said, we're gonna do it together. We don't have to march along. And whatever point you're ready to come back home, we'll come back home. And he said, okay, and we went downstairs. And we were walking to it and I could feel him, you know, tensing up, you know, cause it's, it's you know, thousands of people marching. And, you know, just like any kind of wave, you kind of find your place in it. And we got in the streets and, and we, we marched. We walked together, holding hands. And we joined, you know, that, 
that, that chorus of no justice, no peace, and we said it together. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, about, I had flashback to so many experiences I had, you know, with the police just in my own life. And I've had guns pointed at me by the police. I've had other experiences with, with police. And I, and I thought about this experience the year before where Miles and I were together. You know, he's, he was eight or nine at the time, and he was having a, uh, a meltdown, as, as children who have meltdowns do when they're hungry and tired. And, you know, my wife was away on a trip, and it was just he and I, and he was hungry, he was tired, he was missing his mom. And, and evidently, he was yelling too much for someone who decided it would be a good idea to call the police to quiet him down. I remember just trying to just calm him down um, and seeing these sirens, you know, these lights, these flashing lights going back and not paying much attention to it. I mean, it's a busy street that we were on and, you know, police cars come and go. Um, realizing after turning around that those police officers were there for us. And I saw two police officers walking towards me straight ahead. I saw another pair of officers walking to my left. And then I saw another pair of officers walking from the right. And the officers in the right had the riot gear. And I was just, I, I was just like, there's no way that all of these officers are here to handle a child having a tantrum right now. And I remember these officers coming and just remembering everything that my parents had taught me about staying calm, using an even tone voice, saying yes officer, no officer, while being so angry that this this was even happening. And they asked, you know, what was happening, and I just explained, you know, he was upset, and, you know, he's a child, and he's having a, a moment, and... You know, asking them, I said, you know, this 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 seems this seems excessive to have all of this uh, police presence for for this. There was this one officer. It was, it was a woman. She directed a question to to my son, and she said, she said, "Are you okay?" He nodded. He said, "I'm okay." And she said, "What's wrong?" And he talked about his day. He talked about the fact that his teacher had told him that he couldn't play when he wanted to play and he couldn't go outside when he wanted to go outside. And, you know, he said, I miss my mommy. And, you know, I don't know whether she was a mother or whether she was just someone, but it, it just connected with her. And she saw him as this child who just wanted his mother. And she told all the other officers to leave. She just said, you know, Guys will be okay. She said, I want you guys to go home and get home safe. Um, and so we did. He and I talked about what had happened and we talked about what it meant to, to be able to manage these types of situations with the police. And I mean, it's obviously something I wasn't expecting or hoping to share with a, uh, a child, an eight, nine-year-old child. But, you know, nonetheless, here we are. And as we're marching... Uh, on this day, and as we're, we're in this crowd, and again, walking and, 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 and chanting, and, you know, I thought about that. Uh, and I thought about George Floyd. Um, and, I, and, and I thought about the fact that as this officer was kneeling on his neck, 
that George was pleading for his life. And one of the things that he was pleading for uh, while he was dying was he was calling for his mother. And I, uh, you know, I flashed back to that night when Miles was, uh, when all he wanted was his mother at that moment. And I thought about, that's all that George wanted uh, was his mother and to go home and to his family. Um, and I realized how important um, what we were doing was. And so Miles and I, we got out of the march and I pulled him out and I said, I want you to understand while we're marching. There is a thing in this world called justice and there's equality and there's things that are right and there's things that are wrong and that when things are unjust and they're not right, you have a responsibility of helping to change that. And so we're marching for you. We're marching for all your friends. We're marching for all of our family. And all these people are marching uh, together. We're marching for their friends. We're marching for their family. And it's important that you understand the responsibility that when you see people that are fighting for you to also fight and stand up for them. And that there's power that you have and there's power in the people and there's power in our voice and there's power in our actions. And I want you to always understand the power that you have. I never want you to feel powerless, and I never want you to feel hopeless. And I asked him, I said, do you understand that? And he looked at it, he said, he, he does. And I said, change will only happen if you help make it happen. And I said, I want you to uh, promise me that you, that you will. Um, and he did. And I went back uh, and I wrote. I wrote again. And as I did every day. And I tried to bring some of that feeling of this idea that purpose and all those things, that it isn't, it isn't always pretty, it isn't always glamorous. And, it, and, it, and it's connected to a lot of frustration, a lot of pain. But it's channeling that to create something and envision something and do something bigger and better that is really connected to that sense of hope. Um, and that's what I felt as, as I was doing it, was that I, I was hoping that what I was writing during this time would help. I thought about all those people, um, and those people have jobs, and they work places. They come from all walks of life. And I know in some way, as much as they want to, they're marching and protesting, that they also want to do work that matters. They also want to do work that is uh, making an impact in the world. And... I thought about how I can help them to do that. And, you know, I'm not a politician, so I'm not someone that's going to change policy. You know, I don't know all the different levels of power, but what I do know is I know business. Uh, I know culture, and I know the power that business has. I know the power that people have within business. And so where I can be of service and where I can help is for those people who want to use the power of business and, and the power of culture to create change, I can help them to do so. It's in the act of helping that 
even in those moments throughout the year that I always found my hope and my sense of, of purpose in this work. And so the work that I've done and that I continue to do is all connected uh, to that sense of hope and, and that unwavering belief in people's power to create change uh, and my commitment to, to doing it. And so I, I hope that this book um, does that. I, I hope it helps. I hope it helps the people when they go to work or when they create companies or when they start these new ent enterprises or what have you. I hope that it helps them uh, to be the forces for good and the forces for change that they, they want to be. Uh, and that it helps uh, them to create the change they want to create. Bobby, thank you for sharing that story. You know, beneath the strategy, beneath all of the theory is us as human beings, you know, having a human experience in these strange and turbulent times and how we are so influenced by what is happening uh, in culture and how we see this book as a continuation of it. You know, it's for people who not only want to march in the streets, but also want to make change in their organizations, in the boardrooms, in the conference rooms that business happens. We believe that they are as much activists um, as, as all the incredible people who were marching last summer for Black Lives Matter or even before that for the Women's March or the Climate March. Business is a new battleground for activism. And that's what we are at heart. We are activists at heart. We write from an activist perspective. It's just that our medium happens to be business and culture. Um, I think it made me reflect on this last four-year journey of us writing The Principles of Purpose. It's funny, we keep doing four-year journeys. The first book was a four-year journey. The second book was a four-year journey. And what strange times we, we were living in. Uh, you know, when Good as a New Cool came out, if you remember, um, and it was October of twenty nine of twenty sixteen, excuse me. And three weeks after the book came out, Donald Trump got elected, and we were looking at each other, going, "This is the worst titled book in the history of books. How can good be the new cool when this just happened in America?" And you said something very wise in your usual wise way. You said, "Well, now we have to make it go from being an observation to a declaration." we have to make good the new cool. And we have to find allies out there who will help us do it. And that's what drove us. Um, it's what led us to setting up Conspiracy of Love so we could get in the trenches and, and work on this stuff with those incredible men and women who are out there uh, in business, who are trying to use their unique power and resources to be a force for good and a force for growth inside these companies. It's what led us to starting GoodCon, the conference series, to create a home for these folks and, and continuously inspire them with stories. And it's led to book number two in this podcast series as well as all extensions of the same common purpose that we have um, to unlock this incredible energy that we know is there. Uh, when people and organizations find a higher purpose and find a way of not making money in ways that create problems for the world, 
but make money by solving the problems of the world. Uh, and that's why everything we do always ladders up to that simple idea. So, you know, Bobby, the other thing we were noticing as we went on this journey of writing the book was the incredible pace of change that was happening out there with this topic of business and social impact, right? After the book came out, we would see things like Nike and Colin Kaepernick or Pepsi and Kendall Jenner. And we see brands start to take these big swings at, at, at social impact. We'd see examples of brands taking stands, um, you know, the all the companies which stood up for the Paris Climate Agreement, even though the Trump administration had taken the United States out of it. Um, there was suddenly this moment where corporate leadership was somehow more moral than government leadership. Um, we'd see these moments like the Business Roundtable, 181 CEOs saying, yeah, we want to transform our companies into purpose-driven companies. And we realized, I think, that we were witnessing a potential transformation of capitalism itself. And I think that's what made us really intrigued about writing a book that could accelerate it, to be useful to all of those CEOs out there who were wanting to take their companies on a journey to transform themselves into purpose-driven ones, but just didn't know where to start. And I think that's the other part of, of why we did this is to help those leaders out there who were trying to transform their companies, but were clueless about where to start. Yeah. And the reason why we created this podcast is because we wanted you all to actually hear the voices of these people. We want you to understand that behind these big corporations and these big kind of broader sweeping changes in capitalism and corporate America and so forth are actually just everyday people that are doing some really interesting and amazing work. They're funny, they're honest, they're inspired, they're passionate. They're in some ways uh, frustrated with, with some of the, the state of the world, just like you are. And they're, you know, they wake up every day to do the work to help, you know, create a better world. And so here, you know, in this, in this podcast series is where we hope you get to hear their stories and, and get a sense for who these people are uh, and hopefully connect with them. Yeah, and in the book, Good is a New Cool, The Principles of Purpose, there are 27 stories of incredible leaders in business and culture from companies like uh, Tesla and Airbnb and Zappos. These six that we're going to introduce you to uh, were six very special people um, who, who we just felt like had such a richness in their, in their stories that we wanted to share them with you. And as you see, as you listen to the podcast episodes, you'll see that we really refer to this core set of nine principles that each of them bring to life in, in multiple ways as well. Um, starting with the, the first one, which is purpose needs to be built inside out. And it's very deliberately the first one to talk about the idea that truly authentically purpose-driven companies start with their employees first and make sure that they're building a culture that is diverse and inclusive and respectful and that pays people the right way and gives them the right benefits. Without doing that, it is inauthentic for a company to go and talk about how it's changing the world without taking care of their own people first. Right, Bobby? Yeah, I mean, you know, with, with any stories, I mean, you know, Sam Latif is a perfect example of that and, and, and Procter & Gamble and what you'll uh, hear during this series is, is her story and how Procter & Gamble 
uh, has has built a culture of purpose uh, starting from the inside out and how that's uh, connected to Sam's journey and in what she's doing as well. Uh, you know, our the other principle, our, our second principle in the book is uh, purpose is about picking your uh, shields and swords. It's a, a, a phrase we've heard from uh, some amazing and really smart people, Sarah Vaughn, uh, one of them, in terms of, you know, your shield being the issue or cause that you uh, embrace because you know that is core to who you are and it, it helps serve as kind of a defense uh, against attacks or, 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 or challenges against some of the things that uh, may come your way, whether it's through your diversity and inclusion or your ethical, uh, ethical or sustainable practices. Um, your shield is the things that you do to make sure that you have the, the basic level of credibility within a certain space to be able to, to act in a, a proactive way. And your sword is your crusade. It's the thing that you lead with. It's the thing that you use as your your rallying cry for yourself, for your employees, for your stakeholders, and for your your customers. And say, here's what we stand for. Here's what we're about. Here's a change that we want to create in the world. And here's how we're going to do it. I think Dan Goldenberg's episode is a perfect encapsulation of this uh, by focusing on uh, Activision Call of Duty's sword as being veteran unemployment being laser focused on that, they've done an incredible job of helping put veterans back to work. You know, purpose must be profitable to be scalable is this other principle that we talk about as well. And what we mean by that is this is business. It's not philanthropy. And so the most successful purpose-driven companies find ways to attribute profitability to those products and initiatives. Um, You know, Adidas making $2 billion a year from ocean plastic sneakers is an excellent example of this. So it, it really speaks to the idea of making sure that it purpose isn't uh, a nice to have, that it's as close to your business model and growth uh, as, as possible as well. Yeah, and Afin, you know, you talk about, you know, the, the, the importance of profit and, and how essential it is to being scalable, um, but you also got to put your money where your mission is. And that's the, you know, the fourth principle that we talk about. And this is the idea that if you're going to say that you're going to be about something and this is what you care about, you actually have to put your money behind uh, and put it into action and, and invest in that. And, you know, I think you know, Amy Smith, who you hear from in this series from Tom's, I think is a perfect example of that in terms of how they uh, continue to 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 reinvest their dollars. Uh, they invest, they reinvest probably more, I believe 40% of their net profits back into the to causes and issues that they care about, which is probably more than any other large corporation that I can think of. Yeah. And when they take on issues like gun safety, at the risk of alienating some of their consumers, that's really where the rubber hits the road. You know, truly purpose-driven companies aren't afraid to lose money if it means standing by their values. Um, there is this wonderful quote that we use from Bill Burnback: uh, "A principle is only a principle when it costs you money." Uh, and as you'll see in the Amy Smith episode, you you really kind of get an idea of of what it takes uh, to have the courage of your convictions. Um, but at the same time, Bobby, like you talked about this other principle, purpose doesn't have to be political. There are so many issues and causes out there in the world which um, don't have uh, a political slant to it. And that's really the rich terrain that so many companies can get involved in um, helping. And I think that's really where 
it doesn't necessarily have to be the the tightrope act of being an activist brand um, like Patagonia um, or like Nike with Colin Kaepernick that is something every brand can emulate as well. And that idea of emulating, that idea of of seeing what one company does and, and seeing the potential in it and being able to have a shared sense of of a vision uh, in terms of change that that idea can make kind of leads into that. The, the next principle that we talk about in the book was that purpose should be an open source pursuit. And when you look at the problems that we're facing, whether it's in, in the environment through, through climate change or through uh, economic equality or racial or social justice or um, any of these issues, the problems are so massive that no one company can solve it. But each company through their own innovation and imagination and, and journey can help create these breakthroughs and understanding how to solve parts of this problem that everyone can benefit from. But that benefit is only really realized when those things are shared. And so one of the things that we, we always love talking about, the companies actually share what they do. The, you know, um, Wendy Savage from Panagonia is a great example who we hear from later in the series in terms of how Panagonia shares so much of what they do in hopes that it, it helps transform the retail industry. So this idea of being an open source pursuit, I think is really important for companies to figure out where they should compete, but also um, where the opportunities to collaborate and co-create together. Absolutely. The next principle is purpose is about being the helper, not the hero. And this is one of our favorite ones to talk about. This uh, is a trap that many companies fall into when they try to do purpose-driven work is that they make themselves the savior, galloping in to save the day and turn the spotlight on themselves. This is a surefire way to turn people off and it's something that you need to really watch out for. Instead, what we advise companies to do is think about themselves as the helper and make the heroes their customers or their consumers or everyday people who they are helping solve uh, social or environmental issues. Just that little deflection can have a huge impact in terms of uh, avoiding this kind of egotistical trap as well. Absolutely. And when you are being a helper, you also want to measure your ability to show uh, or to see how much of an impact you're actually creating. And so, um, you know, the next principle that we talk about is purpose should measure what you treasure. And so the things that you actually treasure, the things that you value in terms of the impact that you want to make, you actually have to have the things in place to to measure it properly to make sure that you're achieving that. And, you know, there are so many different ways to talk about how to measure or the ROI on, on purpose. Um, one of the stories that we love is Holly Gordon, a participant, in the ways that, you know, they really look at films and storytelling to see what type of impact that they're making. Um, but that idea of actually applying real measurement to the, to the impact and work that's being done uh, is a really important part of, of being a purpose-led company. And the final principle is purpose is a journey, not a destination. And what we mean by that is, first of all, no company is perfect, just like no human being is perfect. And so imperfection shouldn't paralyze you from taking a first step and going on that journey in the first place. As long as you have a plan to fix the things that are broken, don't let yourself be paralyzed into inaction. Instead, think about purpose as a journey that is continuous and ever-evolving. There is always a, a higher level that can be achieved. 
And that's why it's fascinating to look at some of these companies like Patagonia and Tom's that you would think have achieved so much and be humbled by the fact that the people inside these companies, like Wendy Savage at Patagonia, like uh, Amy Smith at Tom's, realize that they're just getting started and they have such a long way to go as well. So we hope this quick overview of the principles has helped you uh, get excited what's about to happen next um, as we take you on a journey to meet some of the incredible men and women uh, on the front lines of this purpose revolution. Instead of doing it through some sort of abstract strategy, we wanted to do it in a very human way by showing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, just of men and women exactly like us, um, exactly like you, who just decided one day that they were gonna do something different, that they were gonna use their gifts and their passions and their talents to leave the world slightly better than they found it. Everyone's ideas and authentic selves are welcomed in this space. And that I believe is the key to exponential growth, to doing good in the world and to having healthy and highly functioning teams, especially in the pressures of a large corporation. That's why taking you behind the scenes of the conversations we had with some of them uh, through these field recordings, which were recorded not in some beautiful podcast studio with impeccable sound, but in their offices, in their conference rooms. What does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to really struggle with the big questions in life? Offer it as both an incubator community and a skills-based training program for a set of impact leaders who, like me, had found themselves on what I call an unexpected path to purpose. Raw and unfiltered, so you could hear their voices, you could hear what they told us that inspired us. People would just assume that because you were blind, you couldn't do something. I believed that I could. In a way that gives depth and dimension more than the written word on the page can. I have no problem leaping out of bed every morning and coming to work. I. I you know, I don't feel restless because I just, you know, the commitment from the company is real. The people I work with are fantastic. I think it's pretty amazing. So we hope that these stories inspire you, inspire you to take action, whether that's in your companies or in your communities, to try and repair this fabric that is so fragile, that is so torn right now, and become part of the solution, become part of this vast conspiracy of love that is out there. Um, that, by the way, is the meaning behind the name of Conspiracy of Love. It is all the men and women like you who are inside companies or inside organizations working in secret sometimes, working alone, but who have a common bond of finding ways to bring love into work uh, in a way that creates love for people and the planet. We want you to know that you're not alone, that there are millions of people like you out there. And hopefully by hearing the stories of these six men and women who we picked for this podcast series, it helps you understand that there is nothing different to their journey and yours. All it takes is intention. All it takes is focus. And hopefully this inspiration and innovation that we are trying to bring to you through this podcast leads you to that impact as well that we know you can make however small however large it is through your work and through your life as well um, and we can't wait to see 
what you do next. Thanks for joining us on this first episode of Good is a New Cool, the field recordings, hosted by myself, After Laziz, and Bobby Jones, and produced by Natalia Rodriguez. And go to goodisanewcool.com to find out more about what we do and also where you can pick up your copy of The Principles of Purpose. You can also keep in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Good is the New Cool. Thank you for listening and join us next week to hear from the brilliant Sam Latif. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't forget to take care of each other.